In case any of you uh, uh, are wondering, because some of you may be new, you may not be used to a, a, a church like this. When, when, when people clap at the end of a prayer or something, they're just saying amen. You know, they're not saying that was a great prayer. They're saying, we agree with that prayer, and we're excited about him going as well. So just, uh, just, just, just to let you know, and if that's, you know, and if that's a way that you'd like to express amen, you can, you can do that as well. We, uh, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer this week. And as I said last week, it's not the one that you think. This is actually a fairly lengthy passage of Scripture. It's a very important passage of Scripture. Uh, I love the book of John. If you're ever in a trivia contest and the question is, what is Pastor Ronnie's favorite book? And yes, and you would like to win, then that, that would be the answer that you would want to give. It's the book of John. And this particular, this particular uh, prayer, I guess back in, back in the late uh, 70s, uh, the Lord led me to memorize this chapter. And when I did, it just went boom uh, inside of me. And it would do the same inside of you. You don't have to memorize it, but I mean, if you would actually get into it. As we read it, I would encourage you to not just kind of skim and breeze through, but actually, uh, you know, actually listen to this. This is the longest prayer of Jesus's that we have recorded in Scripture. Would you stand with me? After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you for this magnificent prayer that he has left us as an example. And I pray, Lord God, that the power of the Holy Spirit would inhabit this place and have it each heart and bring to life your word in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We usually think of uh, the Our Father as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, actually, that's our prayer. <laughs> that's the prayer that he taught us to pray. So it's really the disciples' prayer. This, this is, the, like I said, the longest recorded prayer that Jesus prayed that we have in Scripture. We have a few of the prayers that he prayed, not very many. Most of them very, very short. This, is, this one is not. And it happened on a most auspicious occasion. It happened, uh, he prayed this on the night before he went to the cross. Uh, prayed this, obviously, in the hearing of his disciples. And obviously, for our benefit as well. There's a lot to learn here, uh, both in terms of theology and by example of what Jesus prayed. And I'd like to touch briefly on both of those streams. Uh, first of all, I want to go into the example of what he prayed. I have completed the work you gave me to do. Several times in this passage, Jesus makes note of the fact that I'm not going to stay here any longer. I am coming to you. Uh, they're going to remain in the world. I'm coming to you. I'm, I'm getting ready to come to you. And I think that the point that I would like for us to pull out of this prayer is that sometimes, because we always tend to think that, that prayers are about holding on, sometimes prayers are about letting go. Sometimes it's just time to move on. And when that time is, is when the job's been completed. We don't always know when that is, but sometimes we know when it is, and we still want to stay anyway. Uh, Jesus, Jesus had been, uh, we believe he was probably around 33 years old. He had been in public ministry for three years, just three years. 
I have been here for 23 years. When I came here, I was thin and handsome. Now, I have to wear a bright green shirt. And I'm not really ready to leave at this point. Do you think that anybody who was connected with Jesus felt like this is enough? Do you think anybody thought, 33, that's a good time to check out. Three years of public ministry. Yeah, that's about all we need at this point. I mean, we can't fathom that. And yet Jesus said, I've completed the work you sent me to do. The time is now for me to... For me to go. Sometimes we, we, we have a tendency to always want to pray, let us stay. Let them stay. And sometimes that's not the right prayer. My mom was 84 when she went home to be with the Lord. And, it, and obviously 84 is a pretty, pretty good age. My dad at the time was, uh, da, 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 he was 88 at the time. Let me tell you one thing I learned from my mom and dad. 84, 88, 98, it doesn't matter. There's really never a time that the people close to you think it's time. My mom, the last time she was in this room, the last time she was on this platform was the day that we uh, uh, dedicated this building. And then the next Sunday, she was too sick to come to church, and they put her in the hospital on Monday. And uh, they discovered that she had a uh, blockage in her intestines. And they gave her medication, and it wasn't getting the job done. They said, well, the only possibility is surgery, and we're not sure you can uh, handle surgery. And she said, I don't want surgery. I, I don't want to ever have surgery ever again, period. That's pretty clear. Yeah. And for a couple of days there, you know, my dad was kind of vacillating back and forth about, well, what, 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 what should we do? I said, well... What do you mean, what should we do? She's lucid. She knows what she wants. She says what she wants. With That's what we should do. And, uh, and so finally on Wednesday, he, uh, he, he said, okay, Lord, if you're ready to take her, I'll give her to you. And uh, they sent her home Wednesday night with hospice. And when they did, they said, you know, this, this could get rough. This could, this could last a couple of weeks. This, this, could, not, this could be hard. And, uh, but my dad had prayed that prayer that afternoon. And so when he called me at 7.30 the next morning and said, she's gone, I thought, praise God. This is what she lived her life for. There's a time to say, let go. When, when my dad died, he, he was 92. I've told uh, some of you the story the last day that I saw him. For, for some reason, the first time in my life I'd ever prayed this prayer, I went, Lord, you know, I'd love for my dad to live to be 100. But if you're ready for him right now, this would probably be a pretty good time for you to go ahead and take him. And when the, when the phone rang at 3 o'clock that morning, I knew what it was. And when, it, when I got to the hospital, they went, oh, we've got bad news. I went, no, you don't. You don't have bad news. My, my dad spent his whole life getting ready to go see Jesus. And that's what he's just done. You know, so, so, and and it's not just about living and dying. There are times when it's time to move on. And for Jesus, this was one of those times. And so sometimes it's okay to pray that prayer. A second thing, Jesus kept referring to what he was facing as being glorified. 
The time has come. Glorify your son. He didn't, he didn't just say this about this particular, uh, in this particular prayer. He said it in this prayer, but he, he said it two or three other times. John 12, he said it. Time has come for the son of man to be glorified. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your son. John 14, well, 13, he was saying, this is the time has come for me to be glorified. What was he talking about? He was talking about being tortured to death on the cross. Not everything bad that happens to us is bad. And if we really believe that God is in control of our lives, if we really believe that in everything God is at work for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose, then we can look at stuff and go, you know, I, don't, I may not understand, but I believe. Because He didn't command us to understand. He just tells us to believe. I was listening to uh, an, an interview on um, uh, NPR this last week, a guy, they were interviewing a guy named Hugh Herr. Mr. Her, that's, that's just so odd. Uh, and he, uh, he is the director of the, uh, the Prosthetic uh, Development Institute at MIT. So he's obviously a pretty bright guy. And when he was 17 in a climbing accident, both of his legs were amputated from the knee down. And I, and I kind of just caught a little piece of this interview. I caught, but uh, when I, when I was sketching it, he was, she was asking him, she said, well, now, um, you know, there have obviously been a lot of advancements in, in these prosthetics. What, uh, uh, how, many, how many different prosthetics do you have? And he began to count them. He said, well, now I've, got a, I've, got, you know, I've got a dress pair like I'm wearing now. I've got a, a pair for uh, mountain climbing. Uh, I've got a, a waterproof pair. I've got a, a pair for ice. Uh, and I've got a pair for... And he kept, uh, you know, for track and field. Uh, he, he had eight pair. And, uh, and she said, well, that, that's pretty impressive. He said, yeah, you know, I mean, I can smoke anybody in mountain climbing because uh, when, when I, my, my mountain climbing pair have spikes at the bottom of them and they can, you know, they, they can get into the hills plus the fact that I can do more pull-ups than anybody. I have no weight be- below my knees. And so, you know, I, I have all of the muscles and strength in my upper body that a regular person has. Uh, when I walk uh, or when I run, I, I never get calf fatigue. And, you know, and, and I, can just, I can just do it. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, you know, I don't think I want to trade, but that sounds pretty good. You, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, advising here, but I'm just saying that something that looks like is a devastating life-ending event is not necessarily a devastating life-ending event, especially if you've got a God who has told you that he is at work for your good in everything that happens. And so when Jesus looked at the cross, he said, hey, this, I'm, I'm going to be glorified. That's what this is about. And then one other example from Jesus' prayer here. He spent most of the time praying for others in this this particular prayer. I would encourage you this week to go back and spend some time uh, in this chapter. In fact, it's it's only 20-something verses. You can read it in 10 minutes. And 
Uh, and, and if you read this chapter every day this week, by next week, you, there'd, just be, there'd just be stuff bubbling up inside of you. The, the Holy Ghost would just be bringing things to life out of it. But he spent a lot of time praying for others. Within 12 hours, he's going to be standing before Pontius Pilate at a bogus trial, and he's already had a, a bogus trial before the Sanhedrin. And, and, and just a few hours after that, he's going to have his body beaten to ribbons and hanging on a tree, and, and he's praying for other people. What does that tell us? It tells us that we need to be focused outward. The main dif- the big difference between God and the devil, of course, obviously God is almighty and omniscient, and you go, well, God is good and, and the devil's bad. Yeah, God's good and the devil's bad, but those are subjective terms. Let me, give you, let me give you an objective main difference between the two of them. The devil is totally self-consumed and self-centered. God is totally outward other-centered. That's the difference. And every, the, everything about their nature reflects that fact. You show me somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about themselves, spends a whole lot of time focused on what this means to me, what they said about me, how, what is in this for me, why aren't you doing this for me? You, you, you find, show me somebody who spends a lot of time thinking like that, and I will show you a miserable person. A person who is supremely unhappy. And if you think I'm talking to you, well, of course you do. (laughs) But I'm not. If you'll let the Holy Spirit get involved in the conversation, then he'll change some things. I mean, radically change some things and and life will go from, from miserable to something pr- pretty good. And the things that Jesus prayed for him, I just want to briefly touch on this. He's praying for the disciples. He prayed and for us. He, he, did not, he did not pray that they would be taken out of the world. Sometimes you want to pray that your kids will be taken out of the world. But you all have kids? Okay, just wanted to be sure. He didn't pray that they'd be taken out of the world. He prayed for them to be protected. It's not, you know, you don't, it's okay to pray for someone to be removed from danger, but not if that's where they're supposed to be. That's probably, that's probably better than I intended it to be. It's okay to pray for somebody to be removed from danger, but not if that's where they're supposed to be. You know, you pray they'd be protected, covered. God can do that. God will do that. Prayed for them to be sanctified. Sanctified is simply, I mean, it's a big word, but literally all it means is something that uniquely belongs to the Lord. A, a thing that is sanctified is a thing that is holy. It, it is something that is His in a special way. And so in praying for others, he said, I pray for their protection. He prayed that they would belong to God in a very special way. He also prayed for their, that they'd be unified. He prayed for their unity and will 
We're going to get on that here in just a minute when we look at the theology of his prayer. And he prayed that they would be reunited with him. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. And this is the, I mean, this, this is the thing that we have as Christians. You know, it really doesn't matter what goes down here or there or what happens at this point or what happens at the, that. Read it because one of these days, we're all going to be brought back together. One of these days, we're all going to be rejoined in Him. And when we are, it's forever. It's forever. So that's what He prayed. He prayed for others. In, in, in looking at the example of how He prayed, you realize that sometimes it's time to move on. And so it's okay to pray that way. And, 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 and even looking at a terrible thing, he didn't necessarily say, well, this is a terrible thing. It needs to get out of my life. He went, there's glory here. He could see something that you couldn't see with natural eyes. And when you, and when you really begin to pray with God, he would like to show you things that you can't see with your eyes, but things you can only see with your heart. And then he spent a lot of time praying for others. I want to touch on four points about the theology in this prayer, and there's, there's a lot more points, but I'll touch on these four. Eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, not everywhere, there's a lot of different uh, literary styles in the Bible. There, there's, 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 there's narrative, there's song, there's uh, poems, there's, there's history, there's prophecy, there's all kinds of things. And in some places, there's a dictionary. And this is one of those places. It clearly defines for us something very important, eternal life. When we, when we think of eternal life, we tend to, to think of, you know, never getting sick and, and never having to die and never even having to cry. And, and, and that's, that's part of it. But that's a symptom of it, of eternal life. It's not eternal life itself. Uh, we think of streets of gold. We think of mansions. Uh, you know, and, and if we're really beginning to get a little closer to the reality of the thing, we kind of go, you know, when I get there, I'm going to love to see my mansion. I'm going to love walking on the streets of gold. But, oh, I want to see Jesus. And that's great because you're getting real close when you go there. And, and uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, there was... A song that uh, whenever everybody in the church wanted to do a hallelujah, they would get somebody to get up and sing, I bowed on my knees and cried holy. Uh, it, was, it was about a, a dream that somebody had visiting heaven. And, and I said, I want to see Jesus, the one who died for me. And then I bowed on my knees and cried holy. It was kind of like a 50-year-ago a, a version of I Can Only Imagine. I think every funeral I've been to in the last five years has done, I can only imagine. And that's okay. I mean, but it ain't, it ain't going to be played at my funeral uh, because I've heard it enough. Uh, it's it's going to be some real interesting music at my funeral, especially if Margaret's still around to, to let everybody know what they're supposed to play. But uh, y'all come and, uh, and thank kindly of me when you hear the music. But even seeing Jesus, you know, it's kind of like I want to, 
I want to, it's like, kind of like I want to see the Grand Canyon. Okay, well, that's great. But he said eternal life is to know. It's to know him. I mean, I have, I have seen Richard Nixon. He's dead now. But, uh, you know, I mean, there have been some famous people I've seen. I didn't know them. Eternal life is to know you. The only true God. And, and that can start now. I mean, then we'll know as we are known, but it can, it can start now. That, that was an interesting piece of theology from here. And then one of the other pieces of theology that I, that I just love is you find that God wants us to have joy. Come on. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. <laughs> down in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I was just waiting to see if anybody was uh, was on that page with me yet at this point in time. I say these things right before going to the cross in the middle of this of this night that seems to be the worst night of my life when I'm going to be betrayed by one of my closest friends and denied by another of my closest friends and everybody's going to desert me. I'm saying these things so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Because nothing could rock Jesus's joy. And this isn't the only place that he said it. Over in John 15, which was not of the prayer, but it was the same uh, discourse that evening. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, pay attention to this because it's got some clues in it. So, I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. If you'll do that, you'll have the fullness of my joy within you. John wrote over in 1 John 1, 3-4, we proclaim, the reason we go out and, and evangelize, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. <sighs> You see, the saints are supposed to love each other and find great joy in doing so. Yeah. Oh. You, you know, I was looking. I was looking for one of those pictures where you know you had a bunch of different nationalities and everything. They were all hugging each other, and I just figured this was the best one. Because you, you got them all there, every kindred, tribe, and tongue <laughs> is represented up there. This is so not complicated. These, these, these people that God has given to you, the ones that are sitting around you, look at, look at them. They're, they're here. For you to love them. And if you will do that, you, you'll, be experience, you'll experience joy. If you will choose to do that, 
because it is a choice. It's got nothing to do with warm fuzzies. It really doesn't. It's such a privilege to be able to look at someone and go, you are such a stinker and you have done such rotten things, but I love you and there's nothing you can do that will keep me from loving you because you don't have any control over my life. I just love you. Seriously. That's the way that it's supposed to work. But we are so suspicious. We're so suspicious and critical because we allow ourselves to be conformed to this world. Jesus said, the world has hated them. And this isn't the only place that he said it. All those you've given to me, because you've given them to me and they belong to me, they don't belong to the world. The world hates them. And so when we look at our brother and our sister and we and we can't get that love thing going, all we can, all we can find is, is, is the hatred thing, then guess what we're being conformed to? Being conformed to the world isn't really about the kind of clothes that you wear. It's not really about the kind of music that you listen to. I'm not saying that you, know, you should dress immodestly, and, I, and I'm not saying that you should listen to garbage, because, I mean, that'll, that will affect you. But, but what I'm saying is that's not what being conformed to the world is. Being conformed to the world is being conformed to the way the world thinks. And when the world looks at believers, it hates them. Absolutely does. And, and the, the problem is, you know, when, when we look at believers, sometimes the world actually feels better about the ones that we're looking at than we do. At least I think that's the case. Pretty sure that's the case. Say, like, well, the world doesn't have to live with them. Well, the world doesn't have the Holy Ghost in their hearts either. Yeah. That ought to make a difference. That ought to count for something. It does if we'll let it. Okay. <laughs> I'll get off of that. Although, I really don't want to change that picture. <laughs> but I'm going to. Uh, he prayed for the unity of believers. And this is an important passage. The whole thing is. But my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, that all of them, past, present, and future, all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. There are doctrines that I cannot go along with. There are, there are groups and churches and places that have doctrines and I, I can't go there. I mean, I, I can't go there doctrinally with them. There are, uh, uh, there are churches that I, I, can't, I couldn't regularly attend. I mean, I, I could go visit, you know. But 
Uh, it just wouldn't work for me. Uh, and, and you know what? I know that this church doesn't work for everybody. That's just not because people are wired differently and, and they have different spirituality and they have uh, different things that, that impact them. I mean, if, if everybody, if this church worked for everybody, we'd do 20 services a, a, a week in a place that'd be packed each time. I, I know it's not the preaching that's keeping them away. <laughs> At least I don't think. But, uh, and that's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing, because how does the devil fight that? I mean, the, the, God's got a niche for everybody. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and God raised him from the dead, then I think I love you. You're my brother and you're my sister. I may not agree with a bunch of other stuff, squirrely stuff that you're into. <laughs> but we got the important stuff covered. We, we, got, we got the unity covered right there. And, and you know, and the, and the devil doesn't have enough defensive backs to cover all our receivers going out on, on, the, on, on the field. We got, him, we got him outnumbered. There's, there's just no way he can handle that. And so what he does is he gets us to handle it for him. Ooh, that was really good. He gets us to handle it for him by, by going after each other and tearing each other down. I remember, yeah, I got, I got, I got enough time to, when, when Margaret and I uh, are not here on Sundays, which isn't very frequent, but uh, occasionally we're not, when we're out of town somewhere, normally we'll go to a church that's nothing like our church. And it's not because we want to go to another church. I mean, it, it, this is where I want to be on a regular basis. And, and if I couldn't go here, I'd look for something like here on a regular basis. But, uh, you know, we know that we're only out for a week or, or, or maybe two weeks. And so we'll go to, you know, we'll go to a, an Anglican church or we'll go to a Catholic church or we'll go to a Methodist church or we'll go to, you know, some place that we know is going to be different from us. And uh, I, I, invariably, I'll find, I'll find uh, three things. One of the things that I'll find is this would not be for me on a regular basis. But another thing that I'll find is, but I sure liked it today. And I'll also find people there that will just kind of amaze me because I grew up in, in uh, rural southern Pentecost. And, you know, uh, we, if you didn't, if you didn't, if you didn't, if you didn't look like us and dress like us and, and, and squeal like us and, and do all the things that we did, then you just, you just weren't a real Christian. I mean, that's how I was kind of brought up thinking. I remember, uh, oh, good grief. It's been over 10 years ago now. We were in, we were in England. We were in York, England, and we were in uh, York Minster, which is this big, huge church that could hold about 40 of these and had about that many people in it. 40, yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, you're kind of sitting there, and they're reading the liturgy and everything, and you're thinking, this is... And, and this and this and this gal about college age came in and, and sat down beside us and it's kind of and you know and I'm and I'm trying to find where they are in the book and everything, you know and she's just she doesn't have to look at the book I mean it's in her heart 
and it's just pouring out of her. And I'm kind of going, this works for her. She, she gets this. This is great. We, we, were, uh, uh, we were in France of all places. They have Christians in France. And we were at this Catholic service, and I was sitting next to this guy on the, on the front row. It was a young guy, probably in his early 30s, and he had a couple of small boys, and his wife was there. And, and, it, was a, and it was a Catholic service. You know, and they'd kneel down, they'd get up, and they'd kneel down, they'd get up. And, uh, you know, and, and every time that they'd kneel down, I mean, he grabbed those boys, and man, he was down. And he was, and he, it was in French. I, I, I think it was French. He, he, <laughs> but, you know, he, but he was there. I mean, he was there. He was in, in it. And then back up and, and totally in it. And I'm going, man, I wish people listened to my sermons that way. <laughs> if we had this kind of unity, Jesus said two things would happen. We could save a whole lot of money or we could redirect a whole lot of money away from promotions and away from programs into helping people because we would start out evangelistically with everybody knowing that God sent Jesus. Everybody would know that. The reason they don't know that is not because we quit having prayer in schools. The reason they don't know that is not because of secular TV. The reason they don't know that is because Christians are not in unity and love each other. That's why they don't know that. I should have gotten a much bigger amen out of that one. Because that, But you might be mad at me about that. But Did you hear the rest of the sermon? You got to remember the hug thing. And everybody would start out knowing that God loves us. And if you went to share Jesus and everybody that you talked to knew in the bottom of their heart, Jesus Christ came from God and God really loves me. You think you might have a little bit better results than we tend to get these days? One last thing here very quickly. Making God known. I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Since the, since the, uh, the mid-19th century, it, it seems that, at least in our culture, the only legitimate reason, the only legitimate motive, the, the real legitimate motive for sharing the gospel with people is because you don't want them to go to hell. And, you know, I don't want anybody to go to hell. I really don't. But when that's the motive that you're coming from and they don't believe in hell, then that doesn't, that doesn't work too much for them. And besides that, that wasn't Jesus' motive. Jesus had some other motives. He said, I make God known so that God's love may be in us. Everybody wants to have some love inside of them. Everybody wants to experience that. No matter how hard they may seem on the outside, everybody wants that. And that's really the message that we have to bring. And so that Jesus himself may be in us. That's the deal. He said, whoever believes in me, I'll come to him. My father will love him. We'll both come to him. We'll make our home in him. To have God living inside of you, working, changing. I mean, it's a frightening thing, and it should be, but it's a glorious thing.
as well. And that's, and that's what the gospel is about. That we might be conformed to His image, not conformed to the world. What's inside of you? You may go, well, I'm inside of me. Well, you are, but you got company. You have some company. And if you put Jesus in there, He'll sort the company out. Sort you out. Put, put, put some joy and love in your life. Would you stand with me? Would those who are going to pray for people come forward this morning? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'd love to introduce you to Him. And, and uh, it'd be, it's great to have the love of God inside of you. It's great to have Jesus Himself inside of you. You kind of go, well, I don't know if I want my privacy invaded all that much. You don't have any privacy. He sees everything you do. He knows your heart. You know, let's just, let's, 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 let's get real about it. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'd like to invite you to come. There may be any uh, a number of other reasons why you need to come. Maybe you need to come to pray for somebody else. Maybe there's a, a, a crisis going on in your life. Maybe there's a... a wisdom that you need maybe whatever uh the altars are open we're going to worship for a few moments if you if you don't need to come then worship him because you love him and because you love those who do need to come set up an atmosphere the holy spirit to work in people's lives he knows my name time again before even time my life was in his hand my life was in his hand I have a maker I have a maker he formed my heart before even time Oh
each other this week and if you really do it it'd be one of the best weeks you've ever had I don't, I'm not saying that good, all good stuff will happen I'm just saying it'll be one of the best weeks you've ever had raise your hand let me give you a blessing may the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world to redeem us to restore us give us cause to rejoice may that fullness of life that he experienced that he had may it be yours may the love that he had be yours may the joy that he had be yours through jesus christ our lord amen